Hey guys, this is the Mosaic Podcast and I want to welcome you. But I want to let you know that MSC just released a new album called Heaven. Seven brand new songs that express the heart of our community, our heart of worship, and are going to absolutely inspire you and make an impact on your life. Mosaic MSC, Heaven. We've had an amazing few days together as we've journeyed through an experience that we call the Mosaic Conference. And, and it's been a beautiful, beautiful time. And it's so interesting to, to step right from that into this moment, what we call Vision Sunday. And, and it's really a time where we, we talk about we, what we see, where we're going, what we sense. And, and it's always to me fascinating to, to think about our city, to think about this particular place in the world. I talk to so many people who seem almost uncertain that they're at the right place in their life, trying to figure out what they should do, where they should go. And, and, and because I have the opportunity to travel to so many places in the world, people are always asking me, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? And I always tell them, I can't live anywhere in the world. <laughs> and so I live there. And it always surprises them that I actually choose L.A. <laughs> I don't know why, but they think I'm here under duress that I really want to be somewhere else. I've been somewhere else and I want to be here. See, I remember when I was in my 20s and I became a person of faith and I worked as a futurist and an urbanologist and I began looking at global trends and movements and trying to understand human migration. And I began realizing that, that the world did not move evenly, that it was not at the same time in history that some people are living a thousand years in the past and some people are living 50 years in the past and, and somewhere someone is living a hundred years in the future. And I used to have seven clocks in my office because they represented the seven cities that reached five million people before any other city in the world. And there was a time that, that what has become normal to us could not be imagined by anyone. And as I looked at the landscape of humanity, I chose Los Angeles for a very specific reason. I'm not sure if I chose it or if Los Angeles chose me. I, I just knew it was first love, and it was love at first sight. And one of the reasons I chose Los Angeles is because I, I, I didn't think of the world through geography. I thought of the world through time. It wasn't about whether I, I chose to live in this place or this place. It was what time in history did I want to live in? And if you've traveled the world, you know that you can travel someplace and go back 200 years. You can travel someplace and go 500 years back. You can live someplace in the world and be 50 years in the past. In fact, if you move away from the oceans, you move back in time. And as you move toward the oceans, you move ahead in time. The reason I chose Los Angeles is because Los Angeles is the capital of the future. That when you choose to be here and make a difference here, you're actually affecting the future of humanity. And so for me, this has always been so central and so significant and so important. So when we talk about the future, we're not really just talking about the future of us. We're talking about the future of all of us. There's this one particular passage of scripture that has always fascinated me. It's in the book of Zechariah chapter 8. And what I think is really important as we read this is that sometimes we have almost a perception of God as if he's bipolar, or at least he has multiple personalities over, or that he, he was one person in the Old Testament than another person in the New Testament, that Jesus is God after therapy, that somehow God had a lot of issues he had to work through, he got them worked out, he had them resolved, and then he became Jesus, and now he's okay, because God wasn't really safe before, but now he's safe. 
And that's why I want you to hear this particular conversation that God is having with humanity. Because I want you to realize that, that, that Jesus is not God after he changed. Jesus is God correcting our misperceptions of who he is. See, Jesus is God restoring his reputation because we kept ruining it. Jesus is God realigning our perspective of who he is because we kept changing the story of God to the story of us. And so in Zechariah chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, it says, The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months must become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Now, sometimes the profound things that God is trying to say to us get lost because we don't understand the context in which they're said. See, he begins by saying, this is what the Lord Almighty says, the fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth month. But most of us don't know about the fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth month. In fact, we don't know about any fast at all. In fact, I would guess most of us here have never fasted at all in our entire lives. And the space in between meals is not a fast. And when you're not eating to lose weight, that's not a fast. When you're not eating to fit into the dress, that's not a fast. When you're not eating because you're Instagramming, that's not a fast. A fast is something very different. And I remember the first time I was ever encouraged to fast. I fasted for 24 hours. It was the most painful 24 hours of my life. I never knew I needed to eat so badly. All I thought about was food. And all I could think about was what I was withholding from myself because that's the way I was taught that a fast is. A fast is self-sacrifice. A fast is is self-deprivation. A fast is a choice to not allow yourself to have something that you need or want or enjoy. And the entire focus of the fast was what I was giving up rather than what I was getting. See, a fast was, was never supposed to be a religious ritual so that you can earn God's love or, or somehow demand God's attention. A fast was like a palate cleanser. It was a way of detaching yourselves from the very things that would cost you to, from being attached to God. And so it wasn't about what you would give up. It was about what you would get. And so in the calendar of the people of Israel, they were fast in the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th month. And years and years later, I had an unintentional fast. I was in the business world. I lost millions of dollars. I was, was overwhelmed and suffocating by the, the overwhelming pressure of my life. And I couldn't eat. I don't know if you've ever been so distraught and so distressed that you could not eat. I tried to eat. I just could not eat. I couldn't hold food down. I couldn't even swallow food. For two weeks, I did not swallow one single piece of solid food. And I didn't know I was fasting. I just knew I wasn't eating. 
And all of a sudden I realized I was in an unintentional fast because I wasn't able to bear the weight of the circumstances I was in. So I decided to take this unintentional fast, this thing that was happening to me, and shift it to something I was making happen. And so I decided to start fasting with intention. And so in that period, I fasted for 30 days without any solid food. And the strangest thing in the world was that I missed food more in those 24 hours than I did in those 30 days. Because I understood what I was doing with my life. I was disconnecting myself from that sense of loss and attaching myself to the future rather than to the past. It was an etch-a-sketch moment. It was a moment where I just let God shake my soul and said, we're going to start over again. But these fasts were there so that they would reconnect themselves, so they would step back and remember who they were, that they would reattach themselves to the God who created them, who loved them. But the fast shifted. They became what we know. They became experiences of self-sacrifice. They became identified with sorrow and loss and mourning. They became morose. And so those moments that we were, they should have been celebrating being in the presence of God, they were actually lamenting their lives. And God says, I'm going to shift what you've made the core of your religion. He says, I'm going to take the fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth month, and they will become joyful and glad occasions. And happy festivals for Judah. God is saying, I'm going to take your fast and turn them into festivals. If you want to know what our vision for the future is, what our vision for the church is, is that we are going to bring joy back to the sacred. Because I think a lot of people are convinced that God is against happiness. That God is against joy. That God is against celebration. In fact, a few weeks ago, a German theologian came to Mosaic. And they were here in this gathering. And afterwards, they came and began talking to me. And he was so serious. And he seemed really distraught. And he said to me, he said, I like being surprised, but I do not like being overwhelmed. He goes, and I am overwhelmed. This is overwhelming. And he wasn't saying it as a compliment. He wanted to be surprised, but he did not want to be overwhelmed. You see, I, I, I think he was completely caught off guard because this is a celebration. I think he was caught off guard because people were actually filled with joy because people were enjoying life. No, not only that, they were enjoying God. And it seemed almost by default that God was enjoying us. See, I, I, the little bit of religious experiences I had growing up, it was always in a context of silence. It was so morose and so somber. And you don't talk here. You certainly don't laugh here. You're not allowed to have any emotions that would bring you joy or celebration. This is where you pay attention to everything you're not. This is where you get in touch with your deepest sense of shame and guilt. And for so many people, they make a choice. I'm either going to be happy or I'm going to be spiritual. I'm either going to believe in God or I'm going to believe in joy. And here God is saying, you have completely misunderstood what I've tried to put into your life. I'm going to take your fasts and turn them into festivals. I'm going to teach you how to make celebration the sacred and the sacred an act of joy. 
I want you to know that God wants you to enjoy your life. And and I've heard such bizarre interpretations of God from people who are supposed to have profound understanding of God. I remember one time this, this theologian said to me, I gave up that career because I was just too happy. I said, what? He goes, I knew it could not be God's will because I was enjoying it so much. See, there's only two options there. Either God is demented or you are. Because the idea that God would make you leave a career to walk away from your life because it was just too fulfilling is really dark. Who would think God would be like that? I've had so many people actually tell me that they were convinced this could not be God's will for their life. This could not be what God wanted for them because it was just too much fun, too fulfilling. And so in in the reverse of that, we, we, we... we try to find a way to please God by doing things that make us miserable. And then wonder why we're so easily persuaded away from God. See, the scriptures tell us that it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. So if you don't have any joy, I'm telling you, you don't have any strength. If your life is so with despair and depression and, and your spirituality is a burden on your life, you will not have the resilience to face the crises and challenges that are coming your way. I was just talking to someone yesterday and they're so brilliant and so gifted and so extraordinary. And we were having a conversation because they're not sure about God. Not sure about his existence. They're sure about about the, 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 the reality of God. And we're having this brilliant, beautiful time together. It was so amazing. And then in, in the midst of the conversation, we had some, some private kind of moments. And, and then I just watched a tear begin to pour down this person's eye. Then, then just a flood of tears coming down as they stood so stoically trying not to express their emotions. And they said, what am I, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And I said, well, here's my recommendation. Here my, here's my prescription. You need to begin to enjoy your life. See, I know what I'm supposed to say. You need to spend more time reading the Bible or spend more time praying or more time disconnecting yourself from all the stuff in this world. But I think a lot of us have been given some bad coaching about life. See, God created you to enjoy you and God created you to enjoy him and God created everything, the beauty of the world around us so that you can enjoy life. God is not more excited about your life when you're least excited about your life. And and there's so many things we should do. We should all care about the poor, and we should all care about injustice, and we should all care about human suffering and inequity. There's so many things that all of us should be concerned about, but it doesn't mean that you have to take on someone else's intention so that God's pleased with you. I spent 10 years of my life working with the urban poor, 10 years of my life working with, in the world of drugs and, and prostitution and hopeless, homelessness. And I, I can tell you there'd be a lot of people who would come because they just thought they were supposed to. It was like, it was their moral obligation because they believed in Jesus, so they just thought, I have to do this. And they, they were actually more of a burden to me because they, they were there because they thought it was the right thing to do, but they were miserable. You ever done that? You ever done the right thing? 
She didn't want to. You you know why? Because you thought the person doing it was just as miserable as you doing it. But you see, the person who's called to do that, they're not there suffering. They're not there going, God, why do you want me to work for the homeless? They get up in the morning going, thank you, God, that you've given me the opportunity to do this. And one of the great dangers is, is when you find your intention, you think it should be everyone's intention. See, I think what happens a lot of times is we end up judging each other because we don't have the same walk, the same journey, the same path to live out. And what I want you to know is that there is a life for you that will bring so much fulfillment and joy. And if you think you're deeply spiritual and you don't laugh, there's something broken in your soul. You need to spend some time enjoying life. You need a fast that's actually a festival. It says, they will become joyful and glad occasions. And I'm glad this, this third layers there and happy festivals because i think we're okay with joy i mean I hear this all the time we should have joy but not happiness because joy's deep happiness is shallow you can you can still be an artist if you have some joy but if you're happy you can't do art because you know a true artist is filled with despair. <laughs> a true artist is, is overwhelmed with angst. A true artist is drowning in the abyss of emptiness. <laughs> you're not an artist if you're happy. You're just superficial. So I'm just going to make a confession that may discredit me for the rest of my life. See, I know joy and glad occasions. I have so much fun in my life. In fact, sometimes I don't even Instagram what I'm doing. I know if I Instagram how good my life is, people are like, who does he think he is? When my guys travel, I go, don't Instagram this. Wait till we're somewhere depressing. Traveling with Jesus. Right? Don't Instagram the, the food we like. Instagram the food we don't like. Because you're not, because you can't follow God and have glad occasions. But I'm going to tell you, here it is. I hope you respect me in the morning. I'm actually happy. I know I try not to be. I don't, I know, I, I don't, I, I, I feel wrong about it because, because you, you know, you know what's really hard is to be happy when so many people are not. And, and so the way we try to fix the inequity of happiness in the world is we try to be miserable just like everybody else. But I, I've made a decision. I'm going to stop trying to be the same by being miserable like everyone else. I'm just going to try to help everyone find their happiness. And so when people come into Mosaic and go, wait, wait, what's the deal? Why are you guys laughing? I mean, I've had people like, hey, you know, you tell a lot of jokes or you're really funny. I go, thank you. Which, which joke was the best one? All right. 
See, I, I, I want us to just absolutely confuse everyone. I don't want them just to be surprised. I want them to be overwhelmed. I want them to go, there's so much joy, so much celebration. There's so much pleasure in this place. People just seem to be overwhelmed with the happiness that, that life can actually bring. What in the world is going on? I want us to bring joy back to the sacred. And it's interesting that right after he says, therefore, love, truth, and peace. And I think a lot of the reasons people don't love truth is they think that if you actually trust God's truth, that you will lose your joy. I want you to know, you'll find truth and peace when you begin enjoying the life that God created you to live. And he goes on, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and inhabitants from many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. And the, the image here that God is, is giving is, he's actually talking in that moment about Jerusalem, but, but I, I, I think that actually this could apply to us here in Los Angeles. He's saying there are people going to come from cities all over the world. They're going to come, and they're going to come searching for God. They're going to actually grab their friends. They're going to, they're going to get a hold of their friends in other cities. Say, I'm going to go to that city. Because that's the city you go to when you're searching for God. See, Jerusalem was supposed to be that place in that moment where the whole world would go, God's there. And God's not just there for them. God's there for me. Let's go. See, so you, want, you want to know what our vision is for the future? Our vision is to become the epicenter of faith. So that people from every city in the world will want to come here. Because they've heard that God is with us. Well, it's almost halfway there. The whole world does come to L.A. You ever notice that? I mean, the whole world is here. This is one of the things I, 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 I saw Nearly 40 years ago, that Los Angeles was inhaling the world. And whatever was in L.A. was exhaling to the world. So a 15-year-old girl looks more like a 15-year-old girl in Tokyo as she does in L.A. See, it's interesting to me. We were just in, in Ecuador, and I was doing this Q&A, and this one person was a little antagonistic, and she said, Are you trying to bring your L.A. culture here to Quito? How are you going to make sure that, that, that you express properly the Quito culture? And I said, what kind of music do you listen to? And she was really apprehensive to tell me. But finally, we got it out of her. She was Justin Bieber. Because everybody knows he's Ecuadorian. See, the reality is that 15-year-olds in Tokyo are more like 15-year-olds in L.A., and 15-year-olds in, Ber- in Berlin are more like 15-year-olds in L.A. And, and that the global culture is actually interconnected in such a way that the world is being disproportionately affected by this city. Yeah. And, and it's a beautiful thing. The whole world is coming here. Well, not the whole world. A very unique slice of the whole world. <laughs> I don't know how to say this and say this right, but... Have you ever noticed that L.A. is disproportionately attractive? I know, you're wooing yourself. So it's, that's a little odd, okay? And uh, we're going to get to that, okay? Because if you live here all the time, you think this is what the whole world looks like. Like, I always just feel bad. Like, wow. See, and then I travel the world. And I go, oh. 
The rest of the world looks like me. L.A. just looks different. Everywhere. You get gas. The guy working at the gas station. Actor. The person serving you at the restaurant. Model. It doesn't matter. The people walking your dog. The next Tom Cruise. I mean, they're there. They're there. They're all there. I'm telling you. It doesn't matter where you go. Barista. The next Angelina Jolie. It's the, the average jobs for, for just like normal looking people like me are taken up by the best looking people in the world. And then I go to the rest of the world. I go, oh, this is what the rest of the world looks like. I forgot. Everybody else is normal. You know why? It's because the best looking people from every city in the world come here. The most talented people, there's so much talent in the city, it's disproportionate. Because the most talented people from Tokyo and the most talented people from Berlin and the most talented people from Sydney and the most talented people from Toronto and the most talented people from Des Moines, Iowa. All the way from there. They come here. And it's an interesting combination. It just it gives you so much reason to hate. Because they're really talented and really good looking. And they just want them so badly to be stupid. Just, you just need it. But they're not. You find out, oh, Harvard, of course. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I was going to Harvard. I, I drove through Harvard. I, I did, it's, it's true. And uh, I drove through Yale, too. I, I, I'm Ivy League. And, and they're the most intelligent, talented, attractive people on the planet. And they come here with big dreams. And they don't just come here with big dreams. They come here at, at, at huge risk. They leave their family and friends and everything they know to come to a city where the competition is so intense and so ruthless that everyone else will destroy the dreams of everyone in front of them just to get ahead of them. And you would think that these people when their dreams don't become a reality. Because when 10,000 people are aspiring for one dream, it's wreckage everywhere. And you would think they just get back up, dust themselves off, and get a new dream, but it doesn't work like that. Because this city is not only a city of the most talented and intelligent and gifted people, it's also a city full of narcissists. Not, Not in this room. just everywhere else. And when you leave the room, you will be everywhere else. And this is also the city with probably the highest concentration of therapeutically challenged people. This is a city full of neurotics, maybe psychotics. This is the capital of OCD and ADHD. See, underneath all that beauty and all that perfection is so much brokenness, it's almost overwhelming and unbearable. In fact, I thought about it a lot because my, my wife, she's, she's so amazing. Kim, she's always trying to fix me. We've been married for almost 40 years, 35 years, and she's still trying to fix me. Like someday she'll say to me, could you just stop moving your fingers? Could you just stop moving your hands? Could you just stop it? No. <laughs> now you're all going to be watching me. But see, you don't know. I have learned the art of not being neurotic 
for 45 minutes while I'm on this platform. But I grew up with such severe OCD. I mean, I, I, I was so obsessive compulsive that it was unbearable. It, it was a, a burden that I carried. And I, I, and, and I mean, I'm an overachiever. I was in a psychiatric chair before I was 12 years old. Some of you are not even trying. <laughs> I was a neurotic. I was psychotic. I, I, I would pull myself back to the border of some level, some semblance of, of normacy. Kim has grounded me and so many times has helped pull me back. And you don't even know. You don't know my family panicking when I wake up in the middle of the night and my nightmares are still there and they're all trying to tell me everything's okay. See, I can joke about it, but I want you to understand something. I don't think it's an accident that I'm here in this city. See, I couldn't be a pastor anywhere else. Everywhere else, they would just want to commit me. Here, people want to celebrate me. See, here, like, I get you. Everywhere else is like, do not let this man inside the building. <laughs> but the whole world comes here and it, 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 what it, it does is gives God a context in which he can actually reveal himself in such a way that he becomes undeniable. Because everyone becomes attracted to all the surface, all the talent, all the attractiveness, all the intelligence, all the stuff that everybody wants. But it just takes a little while to realize there's so much brokenness. So much dysfunction, so much pain, so much insecurity inside of everyone in this city. And it gives God so perfect a material. See, God is creative. God is artistic. God is imaginative. I don't know how he works in the suburbs. I'm just going to be straight up. I know I shouldn't say this, but I, I don't know how God reveals himself when a church just wants to be standardized. When they want everyone to conform, when they want everyone to line up, when they want everyone to be the same. I don't know how God pulls it off. When I, when I go to the suburbs, I'm thinking, God, how can you reveal yourself here? Because everything's the same and you're so different. Everything's so standardized and you're so unique. How, but God does it. And, and, I, and I think to myself, how can God reveal himself in the Midwest? I mean, I, I know he does and I don't want to insult you. If you're from the Midwest. But, but I, don't, I don't understand how God could possibly really reveal himself to you because you're just so awesome already. Like, you're so healthy. Like, you actually, like, love your dad. You, you, you know your dad. I don't know what that's like. You have two parents and you like them both. You have siblings that you actually own as relatives. You're healthy. So you, you, and you didn't believe in God, then you gave your life to Jesus. Oh, and you're just a little bit more awesomer. See, it's, you don't give God a lot of material. We give God so much material. See, when God works with us, it's like people going, I know that person. They are so broken. They, they are so neurotic. They're so compulsive. They're so narcissistic. They're so just, they're, they're just shattered. Look what God is doing. We are the perfect material for God to do great things. And, and I just think LA is the perfect material to become the epicenter of faith for the world. 
See, because people are drawn to L.A. because it's the creative epicenter of the world. And then they actually become repulsed by L.A. Because it seems that we're just trapped on the surface of ourselves. I don't think they understand. You see, I think the reason so many choose to live on the surface is because when they go deep, there's just so much pain there. That they don't want to go deep. And remember how much pain, how much brokenness, how much wounding is there. I, I love this imagery. It's going to be a day where many peoples and inhabitants from many cities will yet come. It's already happening. The whole world is coming to our city. The question is not whether they will come. It's what they will receive when they get here. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And I, I just see this vision that people from all over the world... See, right now, the whole world comes here because this is the epicenter of storytelling. This is the epicenter of human creativity. But I'm convinced that, that a thousand years from now, LA will not only be known as the epicenter of human creativity, it will be the epicenter of the movement of Jesus. The people will be coming from all over the world here to Los Angeles saying there's something happening in LA that has impacted the entire planet and we want to go there and see what's happening. It says, and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Los Angeles to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. And then he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and all nations, and by the way, just pause it for a minute. I want you to notice it says all languages and nations, not just one language and one nation. See, this is, this is before Jesus. See, before Jesus walked this earth, God was for all people. He was for all the nations and all the languages. See, I don't understand how a person can say they believe in God and be a racist. They, they, are, they are mutually exclusive. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot have met Jesus and hate your brother and sister. You cannot. You cannot come to know the source of all love and be driven by hate. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem, by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Now, I don't know where you got your robe, H&M or, or Zara or maybe your, your robe is from Gucci or Prada. Maybe you're more subtle. You have a Saint Laurent, but you don't want anyone to know. I don't know where, or maybe you stole your robe from the hotel you were at last week. I don't know. <laughs> or wherever you got your robe. See, it, we, it, it's amazing. I, I, I'll, I'll give my life to try to bring a message that will hopefully change someone's life. And then someone just wants to talk about my shoes. They want to talk about your jacket or they want to talk about your clothes. Now, it's all good that we enjoy beautiful things. And I do. But I don't want people to follow me because of my shoes. I, I want people to hear a rumor that God is with me. And to decide this rumor might just be true. See, so he says, there, the 10 people are going to grab you. Look at the ratio there. 
Your life is so compelling. See, you want to see our vision for the future. We want to bring joy back to the sacred and, and make Los Angeles the epicenter of faith for the entire world. But what we want to be is we want to be a rumor of God. Let us go with you. Because we have heard that God is with you. Wouldn't that be amazing if someone just came up to you and said, look, I just keep hearing about how God's with you. I don't even know if I believe in God. But if there's a God, he's probably with you. So God just sort of hang with you. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, there are people all the time who ask me, hey, you know, I know you do this. Can I go with you? Or I know you play basketball. Can we play basketball? See, I, I, I don't really want people just to want to hang with me doing the things I do. I want to be a rumor of God where people who don't believe in God go, I think there might actually be a God. Because when I'm watching you, I think that he's with you. And it's kind of strange because I don't even believe in God, but I believe God's with you. See, I, wanna, I want us to confound people. You know, we're a city of gossips, right? We are. We have a whole career based on it. Paparazzi. They know we love gossip. And we, we love juicy gossip. It's called slander. We love when people are caught in their worst moments. Is she having a baby? And is it his? Right? What did he do in that bar fight? We just love telling gossip. And, and, and if, you're, if you're like a spiritual person, you know exactly how to do it. I need you to pray about this. He really needs your prayers because, you know, this is what he's been doing. You know how to do it. See, I... What about if we turn the tide and instead of passing the gossip of the worst of everyone, we begin to spread gossip about the rumors of God? I think God's with that person. I I had that happen to me and in the most unusual place, I was at this restaurant in Largemont that no longer exists. And this actress emailed me and said, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you. And I just kind of ignored them for a, a long time. And then finally... Someone said, hey, they've been emailing me trying to see if they can get a meeting with you. And I said, okay, let's, let's meet. So I said, let's meet in a public place and, and, uh, and let's just sit down and have a conversation. And, and so we we're talking and eventually we were, you know, we're talking about God, then we're talking about Jesus. And, and, uh, and as the conversation kind of progressed, I just, I ran out of material. So I, I said, I don't know, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And, and everybody was watching because she's pretty well known. So they were all looking at her. And so it was kind of awkward. And I didn't think she would. And she said, well, yes. I said, like, right here, right now? She goes, sure. Why not? Right, yes, right here, right now. I go, well, you know, every, everybody's watching. And I was, I was so uncomfortable. Like, she should have been more sensitive to my needs. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and she goes, no, I don't care. I don't care. And right there, she, she, she just prays and invites Jesus into her life. And it was like this amazing moment. But then I was so confused. And I looked at her after she prayed, and I said, can I ask you a question? She goes, yeah. I said, why? Like, why did you just do it right now? I mean, I thought it would take some time, and there would be a lot of, like, debate, dialogue, negotiations, you know, and a lot of questions. You just, boom. It's, like, it's almost like you came in ready to give your life to Jesus. And she told me something I'll never forget. She said, I was trying to figure out if there was a God. So I started looking on the Internet 
to see if there's anyone in the world I thought might actually have met God. And she gave me made the greatest compliment I've ever received. She said, I contacted you because I had a sense if there was a God, I think this guy has met him. See, I want to be that guy. I want to be a rumor of God. And I want you to start spreading rumors about each other. See, we, everybody wants to spread the worst rumors. So when, when, when someone tells you something negative about someone, you can say, oh, I, but I got a better rumor about that person. You go, what? They've met God. See, it doesn't change your past. Your past is your past. But it certainly changes your future. See, when... When you become a rumor of God, they say, please let us come with you. Because we've heard that God is with you. They're not saying we've heard you're perfect. We, they, didn't, they didn't say we heard you have it all together. They didn't say we, we, we heard that you finally figured out how to do life perfectly. They just said we heard that God is with you. Here's the beautiful thing. You can be a disaster and still be a rumor of God. People say, yeah, but... but Didn't you do that? You go, yeah, I did. That's why this is amazing. (laughs) Isn't that who you are? You can say, that's who I was. I know. I'm as shocked as you. (laughs) I I was the last person in my family to trust Jesus with my life. It was my mom, then my sister, then my brother, then my sister. And they would all come to me crying. Well, my sisters would. We don't want you to go to hell. I'm like, who told you I was? Oh, but we're going to heaven. I go, that's, and who, who, where's the list? I mean, I know they were sincere, but it was, it it was, it was so frustrating to me. And my brother was an atheist, now believes in Jesus. That really bothered me. And, and when someone asked me, have you thought about giving your life to Jesus? I said, my brother, he's going to heaven. They go, yeah. And I said, then God has no standards. I did. That's what I said. My brother says, thanks a lot. I looked at my family and I actually discounted God because I knew them. So there's no way in the world I could trust a God who would accept you. <laughs> I did, this is, I'm just telling you the truth. This is where I was. And then all of a sudden, one day, the entire script flipped. Because if he would accept them, maybe... He would accept me. They became the rumor of God and it was not their perfection that compelled me. It was their brokenness, their imperfection, their flaws. It was the fact that being the mess of who they were, I still saw the rumor of God all over them. And it was so disturbing to me that God had no standards. And I'm so grateful now. That he doesn't. See, I didn't understand that Jesus died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God. I didn't understand that God's intention toward us was always forgiveness and always grace. I didn't understand that. But now I know that the rumor of God that's supposed to come from our lives isn't because of our perfection. It's simply because of his goodness and generosity toward us. I got to tell you this. At the conference, it was, um, I don't know, Friday? And in the middle of my talk, I started sharing a, a story. It's actually a true story. That I, I don't wear watches, but I, I have a watch collection because 30 years ago, my mom gave me a really nice watch. 
And I wore it for a few days and it stopped. And I took it to a watch repair place and they said there's nothing wrong with it. And they had showed it to me after they had it for a day and it was running. And I took it home and I started wearing it and it stopped again. And I took it back to the same place and said, you did not fix this watch. And so they checked it again, said there's nothing wrong with the watch. We changed the battery, but the battery was brand new, but we just wanted to do something to, you know, make you feel like we've tried. And, and, I, and it was working, so I took it and I wore it for a few days and it stopped again. And I took it back and I said, this, this watch isn't working. I didn't want to tell my mom. And they said, it's not the watch, it's you. <laughs> so I, I took the watch home and I put it on the shelf and a few days after it started working again. And then I put it on and it worked for like two or three days and it would stop working. Then I take it off and I put it on the shelf and then a few days later it started working again. And so I started studying and there's this phenomenon. There's some people who let out this high level electrical current and they actually stop watches. I'm one of those people. So I actually have a watch collection because I would just change watches. I would stop every single watch I wore. And so I would just switch up watches. I'd wear one till it stopped, put it down, wear the other one, wear it till it stopped, put it down, wear another one. So I now have a watch collection of watches so that I could actually wear a watch. But it got worse than that. When I got really super stressed and when there was all this old school laptops, I would touch computers and the computers would fry. I thought, wow, what a coincidence. Another computer just fried. It happened a few times. The first time I thought it was just an accident. Second time I thought there was just bad equipment. Third time everybody's like, hey, we'll just type for you. <laughs> you know? and, and, and it really became a problem when I started traveling around the world. One is that my code name internationally is Random Search. Wherever I go in the world, I get randomly chosen. I'm selected to be searched. It frustrates me. It frustrates my family. My wife will always say to me, will you shave so they don't pick you? I go, honey, it doesn't work. When I shave, I look like a guy with a beard who shaved, who's trying to get through. And, and it took me a while, a few years. I mean, sometimes I get angry because I was, I was in this little airport in Texas, I think it was, with my family. There was like 15 people going through the airport and they said, sir, I'm sorry, you've been randomly subject, you know, you know, selected. And I, I, I went, oh, wow, look, none of the white people were selected. And my kids and my wife are like, Dad, just chill. You know, just go through the process. Well, I just, I'm just noting that yo soy la única persona que lo cogen en este momento, pero. In India, they pulled me out of line. The team didn't even see me. They took me to a back room and they said, we'd like for you to identify every piece of luggage that's related to you. I'm telling you, this has happened to me all over the world. In London, I got pulled over by the London security Asking me if I ever seen Midnight Express. No. You know, it's about a drug dealer coming out of Istanbul into London, I guess is what he said. I just happened to be coming from Istanbul to London, and I just happened to have two passports with two different names from two different citizenships with two different countries. And know it looks suspect. And know that I come from a country that's very creatively creative in its economic diversity. And I... Uh, and I know it makes me suspect. And I've realized over the years, the reason I've walked the most dangerous streets in the world and I've never been mugged is that people think I'm the mugger. <laughs> I've accepted all this, but what I couldn't understand is why I keep going through those machines and they go off. So I was in London and the machine went off again and I was not in a good mood. And I said, really, really, this is just random. All these other people went through and it goes off with me. I said, do you guys have a button? I tell them, I said, do you have a button? And you hit the button when you look at someone, you go, uh-huh. 
and, and that way it's not personal. It's the machine that selected me. And they said, no, there's no button. I said, come on, you can tell me I'm okay. See, I, I want you to keep the plane safe. So you can do this to me the rest of my life. I just need to know. I just need to know that it's not an accident. He goes, well, let me tell you. These machines are set at a certain frequency. And if you emit higher than that frequency, it will go off. I went, oh, I understand. I can live with this. So I'm telling this story at the conference. And I didn't know this happened until later. While I was telling the story, the screen behind me started glitching. And all the power in our production team went off. And then it went on right after. And I had, you know how I found out? All these people came up to me and go, that was the best effect we've ever seen. <laughs> people coming up to me and go, how did your team get the timing so perfect where everything started glitching and flickering and electricity went off? I didn't even notice. And I went and asked my team, confirmation, did, it, did you lose power? Yes, we lost power. When I was telling the story, yes, and Amy, I think, said Mariah sent them a text. Now, I'm not saying I caused a massive electrical stoppage, but there's a rumor, and I'm okay with that rumor going on, because you see, I'm convinced that the same God who lived during the time of Elijah lives today. That the same God who worked through Jesus is working today. And that God wants to be so unexplainable in your life that the rumor of God starts spreading everywhere. See, I I know I'm supposed to talk about a vision about a building and about buying land and about all these different things that are concrete. But before we do any of that, I want us to be the epicenter of not only human creativity, but of God's activity in the world. I want us to begin to confound people who do not believe in God because you become the proof of God simply by living the life he created you to live. I want you to be so fully alive that your life becomes electric, that the room shakes because you walked in. And I want us to cheat in all the arguments about whether God exists or not. Because so many people want to argue about whether God exists and they want to have debates and dialogues about whether God exists. You know the best way to cheat? is just to be proof of God. So that people look at your life and go, how do you explain that? And there's some of you here You already have enough proof. You know that Jesus has come for you. You know that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. You know that he is here right now and that he loves you. He wants to give you forgiveness and freedom. And there's some of you here right now that need to step into this life. So I want to invite you right now just to, in your spirit, just to cross the line of faith and open up your life to Jesus because 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave his life for you. And he's just waiting for you to give your life to him. And when you give your life to him, he puts his life in you. So what I want you to do is just bow your heads with me just for a moment and just close your eyes. I want to just lead you in a simple prayer where you can give your life to Jesus. Where you can cross that line of faith 
where you can step into his life and receive his life. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Just one simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. It's not everything you and God need to talk about, but it's the right place to start. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Just tell him. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your desire, if this is your prayer, then I want to pray for you. Because I want God to just overwhelm you with himself. I want him just to envelop you in his presence so you can know that today is the beginning of a new future. So if you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, I just want you to hold your hand up quietly and I want to see you and I want to pray for you. Right now, just hold it up high. Jesus, beautiful. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, anyone else? Beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Wonderful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. So good. Father, I thank you for the women and men who have just opened up their lives to you. Who just crossed that line of faith and have put their trust and faith in you. I pray, God, you would just wrap them up in your love and just let them know that they belong to you and that you'll never leave them or abandon them. That this is the beginning of a new life, the beginning of a new future. It's a new day for them. So grateful, Father. We thank you, Jesus. And we pray in your name. Amen. Can we just thank God for all those who respond to him? So good. So good. I want to encourage you. Don't do this alone. Get around people that can inspire you and move you forward in your faith. There's some of you here, you've just been so discouraged. But there are people in this room who have a lot of courage. And the beautiful thing about encouragement is that it just overflows. And if you'll get around people who are filled with courage, that courage will pour into you. There's some of you that you're just really discouraged and you are struggling with despair. But let me tell you, there are people in this room who are full of hope. And if you'll get around them and just just grab a hold of their robe and say, can I walk with you for a while? They're going to pour their hope into you. It's just going to splash into your soul. And the beautiful thing about love is that whenever you receive love, it's more than you can contain. People who are full of love, they're messy. People who are full of love are just super messy. You get around them, they're just going to spill their love all over you. And so what I, what I want you to realize is that everything your soul needs, strangely enough, it's inside of the soul of someone else. And they want to share that with you. And that's why you got to grab someone and say, I, can I walk with you? Because you're not supposed to do this alone. You need to grab someone. And, and by the way, you don't have to wait for someone to grab your robe. You can actually just find the courage or find someone to say, hey, walk with me. In fact, just throw down the gauntlet. I've met God. Him and I have this intimate relationship. I'd like for you to walk with us. Because the best proof of God is walking with people who've been changed by him. So just let's just spill over on everyone else's soul. Let's just share hope and love and faith. Let's just share joy and and celebration and happiness. And let's just watch what will happen. And let's build a community together that inspires the entire city 
that turns it upside down, that draws the world to the city. Let's together write a new chapter in Los Angeles so that one day across the world people will be saying, we got to go to L.A. We got to go to L.A. That's where Jesus is. There's something amazing happening there. There's a strange community called Mosaic. It's a bunch of really dysfunctional people who are so broken and damaged and they found healing and health. They came in filled with despair, but they left with hope. They were full of doubt, but they are now so full of faith. They were once filled with hate and bitterness and anger, but now they're just overflowing with love. Let's be the reputation. Let's start the rumor that God is alive and well, and he lives in us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.